Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are in. Doctors D and G, that is. How you doing, dog? I am doing very well. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, how are you doing? I'm man? doing fine. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to uh, break format a little bit. We're talking ostensibly about Isle of Dogs, but uh, we're going to use this as an occasion to talk about Wes Anderson in general, primarily because I have not yet seen Isle of Dogs, and perhaps more significantly, as a Wes Anderson fan, I don't want to see Isle of Dogs. Oh, Dr. Wow. D has. So I want to first get your impressions of, of it in general. Then I want to ask you some questions based on what I know about it from having seen the trailer. Okay. And then we can let his other work rise up as it may. Oh, I'm sure it may. Okay, general impressions. Let me start by saying that Generally speaking, I'm a fan of stop motion animation. Uh, certainly, like many of us, I saw the Rankin Bass stuff when I was a kid, but clearly uh, it's gone leaps and bounds. And eventually, the Ardman studio, uh, their work was uh, really, uh, really attracted me with the, the Wallace and Gromit films. Same and here. Other, other things, although I didn't see their Caveman one that just came out. I can't remember what it was called. I actually haven't seen any of uh, Ardman's features. Oh, okay. Well, then, definitely, the Curse of the Were Rabbit is a is a good one. Okay. So, were you coming at this from the point like treating it as an as an animated film as opposed to a Wes Anderson film? Uh, well, actually, both. Um, as we get more into his work, I can talk more about it. But uh, okay. having seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox, I was interested in the animation side of it certainly, um, and then also having liked uh, The Fantastic Mr. Fox. I did too. Oh, good. I'm glad you saw it. And yet, no, the only Wes Anderson films that I have not seen, I'm ashamed to say, are uh, Moonrise Kingdom and uh, The Darjeeling Unlimited. Okay. Um, we will definitely uh, get into those. I, I'm not going to say to what extent I saw okay. Okay. one or both of those until later. But in any case... Um, so that's why I was going in was was th three points on the spear. One that it's I, I almost make it a, a combination, not animated or Wes Anderson, but it was an animated Wes Anderson, a stop motion Wes Anderson as a thing. Mm. And, you know, I thought that the trailer made it look charming. And by God, it was charming. It wasn't mm. it, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting or even necessarily exactly what I was hoping but it was it was entertaining and charming, and then I can leave it at that unless you want more before you start questioning me. No, because I, I may end up seeing it. Okay. Um, because my wife is interested in it, and uh, maybe even as a result of the show, I'll oh, cool. be motivated cool. to see it. When I saw the trailer for this, mm -hmm. my heart sank a little bit because as soon as I realized it was a Wes Anderson film, my first thought was, oh no, he's going back to animation? Hmm. Not because I didn't not because I didn't like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. I did. But I felt I guess my immediate my, my knee jerk reaction was, oh, why did you feel the need to go back to animation? As if, as if he could only do it once and then right. you know never again once he's put his stamp on it. Right. 
Yeah, and then as the trailer went on, I felt like, wow, there were some really disturbing elements here. There were things where I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be disturbed or amused. Right. This whole thing about, like, dogs banished to an aisle of garbage. I mean, right. almost raw doll territory. Right, <laughs> right. Sort of whimsy with terror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, I think I was really dissuaded because I felt like the trailer exploited all of the typical Wes Anderson moments. And mm. it almost felt like a parody of Wes Anderson trailers, much like uh, Saturday Night Live did uh, a oh, couple God, of years yes. ago. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. It was spot on the money. And that's how I felt with this trailer too, especially for some reason. There seemed to me in the trailer at least, there was a, a lot of very plain iteration of whatever was going on. Like, we've got to help this boy find his lost dog, or <laughs> I think I have a crush on you. And right, right. that one, for some reason, that line in particular was the most offensive to me because I feel like... Offensive, okay. Well, no, because I feel like, I feel like it perfectly encapsulates the Wes Anderson-ness of characters and interactions and whatnot and motivations. It was almost like that Saturday Night Live parody crystallized into one line. It's like if you were going to make okay. a parody of a Wes Anderson trailer, that and would be And you only the, had one line to do it in. That would be the line to do it. That's interesting. Uh, I think that the, the tone that you're describing that you got from the trailer is, is pretty much spot on. It's this kind of uh, disturbing kind of grittiness mixed with whimsy. And so if you're not comfortable in that space, or you don't think that that promises to have some, that there can be fun to be had there, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, this might not be the one for you. As far as like the trailer making you feel like, you know, it's a Wes Anderson parody or that it's it's hitting all those sort of uh, cliche sort of uh, Wes Anderson moments. Um, I, yeah, I didn't see the trailer because as soon as I think I might see something, I avoid it as as do you. Because I think because this was in the category of something you didn't really care about. It, right. So 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 just, just 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 the fact that I got as far as I think I have a crush on you. Right. <laughs> that should speak volumes to my level of interest. Right. <laughs> it's this twisted reverse, whatever. <laughs> yes, um, because I did not shield my eyes, therefore. Okay, so, uh, and also just to tackle this, the statement, he's going back to animation. Well, yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I tried to autocorrect because I, I, I no, realized no, no, I that that's, but, not, that that's but, not a fair... That's but particularly not... with, with Wes Anderson, but with many directors... I think particularly with him, he has established those cliched things and done them over and over again, whether it was animation or not. I mean, there are so many of those sort of precious yes. uh, characters and situations and moments in, in all of his live action films. Oh, I no, I'm, I'm very well aware of it. And I feel yeah. like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it work, it works better in live action than... Okay. 
Well, what I was going to say is, I feel like Isle of Dogs... Uh, how do I put this? I wouldn't necessarily look at it and go, oh, I don't know how to say this. Hang on one second. Let me think this through. Okay. I don't feel like Isle of Dogs is sort of like a cop-out in a way of just sort of continuing whatever he was into in um, Fox. I feel like this has got some similarities to it. Certainly the stop-motion look of it. It's the same DP. I think his name is Tristan Oliver. Hmm. So the look of it has some similarities to it. But in terms of the the story he's telling and, and the characters, it's, if, it's like a whole different thing. And that many of his live action movies have more in common with each other than these two stop motion ones do. Sort of thematically and yeah. execution wise. I feel like he's he's growing here as a as a storyteller. Okay. Now now let me ask you, so where do you put this on the Wes Anderson spectrum? Huh. Okay, I will answer that question. I am a little concerned because... Well, then I'll tell you what. Because it's going to reveal so many feelings I have about other things. But I can certainly do it. Hold Allow me to rephrase. Allow me to rephrase, if I may. If I may, Your Honor, retract the question. <laughs> yes. So what is your history, your relationship with Wes Anderson, where, 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 that will, how do that, you feel about him? The first thing of his I ever saw, I think, was Rushmore. Same here. Which I didn't precisely care for because of its Wes Anderson-ness. I feel this, I felt like I didn't quite get it. Like, I thought mm. it was funny, but I didn't, the, the magic of it did not come through for me until the second viewing. Right. And I'm a huge fan of Bill Murray's, so it's hard for me to look at something that he's in and go, particularly if he's playing something closer to comedy than than straight drama. Right. Um, so so it, it's actually painful to to not like go, oh my god. And then I saw the Royal Tenenbaums, mm -hmm. which I liked marginally better, but I still wasn't captured the way you were saying, you know, that you were weren't caught up in the magic of it. Tenenbaums. I really enjoyed. it. I could certainly relate to it all a bit more because it was it was New York and it was you know whatever this family drama and you know a father coming back and looking yeah. for forgiveness kind of doesn't exactly ring true to my life but but has you know some kind of an echo and such a such a tremendous cast of like those are hardcore actors. Oh yeah, running around in that. Not no offense to Bill Murray or Jason Schwartzman who. I tire of promptly. I have no patience for him and his little twitchy acting style. Tenenbaums was his Pulp Fiction in terms of cast. Oh, that's oh yeah, in terms of cast, that's very cool. I did I did hear something recently that basically oh now I can't remember his name. Who's the who's who plays Royal Tenenbaum? Gene Hackman. That basically. Basically, Wes Anderson had like the way he wanted to deal with actors and the way he wanted them to behave. And Gene Hackman was like having none of it. Oh, nice. He was just going to do his Gene Hackman thing, which nice. in a way is kind of perfect for that character because he's not really one of them in a way. Yes, that's true. And I don't I don't think he was operating on that kind of 
I don't think he was operating on that meta kind of level. I think he's just like, who is this punk shit? You know, and not wanting to to put up with it. I don't know. But um, nice observation, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I tried to revisit. I, I tried to revisit the Royal Tannenbaums for this for the show because I thought, you know what, I got to go back and start looking at some of his earlier work because my feelings about him as an artist and a storyteller have changed over time. And maybe I would have a different, less, you know, whatever, uh, stringent a reaction to him or whatever. I don't know if that's the right word. And so I put the Royal Tannenbaums on instead of taking a nap, which is what I should have done. I've been working my ass off lately. So I was watching the Royal Tannenbaums, and who could have seen this coming? <laughs> and I'm not just on this sh- on this show, ladies and gentlemen, has he been working? <laughs> oh right, no, yes, in, in my in my real exhausting life. Yes. So I was, uh, you know, I just had a few minutes before we were gonna sit down and record this, and uh, anyway, I nodded off, and I ended up having uh, a nightmare <laughs> while I was sleeping that had. That it was as though it had been directed by Wes Anderson. This dream I was having animated or real so, life. Oh no! It was it was it was ninety nine point nine nine percent real life. It was a live action dream. Oh. Um, and if you'll permit me for a second, in the dream I am visiting some uh, old family friends that we knew when the kids were a little younger, and they somehow live in this just massive building. You know, it's their home is this giant building. And I'm just coming by to say hi, but they seem to think that I'm there to take care of their newborn. And they quickly rush out of this enormous house without telling me which room the newborn is in. <laughs> I'm laughing now, but in the dream, it wasn't funny. I was in a panic because I, I kind of dubbed it the, the house of a hundred rooms. And so in the dream, I, the mission is going from room to room to try to find which one the baby is in before something unfortunate can occur and in the process it's like a road movie i end up meeting all these quirky you know humorous characters that uh either help me or don't particularly help me or have something wry or wise to say as i'm going along and somewhere in the middle of it all there's a character which is a this is where the animated the stop motion character which is a rubber chicken nice i love rubber chicken <laughs> rubber chicken exactly and it's wearing an overcoat for some reason and <laughs> like, 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 like colombo the colombo of rubber chicken. well it has it actually has a like a either a fur or a faux fur collar so i think maybe it was really a tannenbaum type jacket mm. if i remember that you know it was probably winter when they were shooting that or something yeah and uh i think his name was mr molehill i'm not sure but I do feel like that might have been a comment on what I was going through making a mountain out of. What a Beatrix Potter kind of name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was voiced by Bill Murray, this this rubber chicken, the deadpan <laughs> voice of Bill Murray. Just fantastic. And in it somewhere, there was this noise that kept happening and happening and happening. And as it turned out, what that noise was was with my alarm to, uh, to get and start working with you. Oh, my God. That's so I hilarious. slept through it. And anyway, we had to reschedule in this whole thing. But so that's that's now going to layer on top of my reactions to Royal Tannenbaum is, or Tannenbaums is whatever was going through my twisted mind at the time. So what did you, what were your feelings about his more recent work? Well, here's what happened. Then I saw that that was two two swings. Ah. Rushmore, not nuts about it. Royal Tannenbaums, I wasn't nuts about it. And I stopped. Ah, so until until Fantastic Mr. Fox came along. Okay. 
because I had kids and we had read the book and weren't necessarily expecting it to be a strict translation of the book. There's not much to the book. And I was caught by the fucking magic. Wow. In Fantastic Mr. Fox. I was delighted by it on so many levels. And, you know, entertaining for the kids, but it also had, you know, grown-up stuff. You know, the Mr. Fox's... It wants to be the lone wolf and, you know, but he's never going to really have that life. But he has this other wonderful thing, but he longs or aches for the thing that he can't have. And just so many just tremendous yeah. layers and levels to it. And it was a feast for the for the soul and the eyes and the mind. And so I was then all in on Moonrise Kingdom, which I also really found very charming. That's the one I would have guessed was the one that won you over a minute oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... It certainly would have won me over all, all on its own. It has, hmm. I mean, I feel like all those things that he was working out of his system as a director or whatever, finally sort of uh, coalesced, you know, in Fox and the work that came after. I mean, Grand Budapest Hotel. I love it. Interesting. I liked a lot of things about Grand Budapest, but... At the end of the day, I hate to say it, I found myself getting a little impatient with it. I can understand that. I can understand that. They its it, aimlessness was not <laughs> was not as charming for me here as it was with say the life aquatic. Right. In which I up to Budapest, I hadn't I still had those holes in my yeah. in my experience. At that point I doubled back to see the things I hadn't seen. So I did see Life Aquatic and I did see uh, the Darjeeling uh, Limited and didn't care for either of them. Interesting. Particularly. Interesting. Well, if I, if I may. Yeah, please. This will either be a revelation to you or perhaps this is going to be <laughs> what you were just about to talk about, but I felt the need to mm -hmm. interject. And I'm going to, and it's only two words. Bottle Rocket. <laughs> so here's my answer about bottle rocket i think i probably saw bottle rocket either after rushmore it, it could i could have seen it before rushmore or after rushmore or tannenbaums the thing was though when i saw it i didn't realize it was wes anderson and you still hated it i wasn't i wasn't plugged into that side of it no i right. hated it because of the wilsons because of who? Owen Wilson? The Wilsons. Owen and Luke Wilson. <laughs> Interesting. I, I I can't remember who was who, but the the one with the short blonde hair who was like the dynamo. That that would that be must Owen. Be Owen. Uh, I just found that I just found that character so grating. And and largely I am not interested in either of them in other things they have done either. I am stunned. Not by your <laughs> Not by your uh, your uh, your apparent uh, Wilson phobia. No, I'm I'm stunned that you didn't care for Bottle Rocket so much. Because the relationship between the two brothers. Yeah. I think actually, I think actually, Bottle Rocket is his best film. Wow. Because to me, it has the most. It's the most pure of heart. I mean, wow. Yeah. No, I feel like it's wow. the story is simple. And the motivations are so pure that it has all the heart that's just almost missing with everything else he's done. 
Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, especially after Tannenbaum's, I feel like he's more interested in the canvas, the cinematic canvas, mm-hmm. than in the emotional drive of his characters. And I feel like in Bottle Rocket, yeah, no, Bottle Rocket is the one I'll always go back and I mean, I'll probably I will always go back and watch any of them, but yeah, Bottle Rocket would be the Desert Island Wes Anderson for me. Oh, yeah. oh wow, okay. I can't go there because of the Wilson. That, that just Wilson that, never stops. He never that Wilson, stops. Wilson, he's never won you over, has he? No, he hasn't. I mean, nothing he's done. Starsky uh, Hutch, Wedding Crashes. Well, he has just never worked. Oh wait, him. no. You see, look. Uh, okay, the, the thing he, the specific thing he was doing in Bottle Rocket really annoys me. This, that kind of like he never say die and it's always going to work. Come on, guys, let's do it. We can do this. Right. Is that an accurate kind yeah. of thing yeah. for his character? It's been some time yeah. since I saw it, but obviously it stayed with me. So look who's talking now. And and he hasn't continued to do that over and over again. So that is a that is a blessing. Let That's me just fair. quickly. That's totally fair. I mean, you know that that was his day, that that was his first movie. So it was to anyone who may have been introduced to him through that would not necessarily know that he was going gotcha. to ride that gotcha and they had done the for they had years. done the short together prior to that yeah movies that he's been in that i like that i enjoyed let's use that word in spite of him in spite of him armageddon armageddon that's just you check your brain at the door fun i don't I like zoolander you enjoyed that what you can't believe i enjoyed it well, you know, yes. brace yourself. Um, I, I liked. Know. I think I liked Starsky and Hutch well enough. Meet the Fockers, and I thought he was actually kind of okay in it. I liked him in it. Wedding Crashers is a lot of fun. Vince Vaughn makes me laugh a lot. Um, yep, I think the two of them were a really potent combo. Absolutely. Um, I, I Listen, I like Cars, but that's, you know, mea culpa. That doesn't count. That no, doesn't that doesn't count. count. <laughs> You're hilarious. You, me, and Dupree, I wanted to punch him in the face. Um, <laughs> Night at the Museum, I can deal, uh, you know, one. Just the fact that you saw you, me, and Dupree, I want to punch <laughs> you in the face. I think I saw it on TV, man. I didn't see it in the theater. I think uh, okay, I probably okay. did see Drillbit Taylor in the theater <laughs> where he played Drillbit Taylor. So I see, I guess I, I saw Marley and me. I've seen him a lot, man. Wow, oh you really? You, I think you may have seen him more than me. I think actually. I have. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not bothered by him if he's uh, there. Right. Hall, okay, but Hall Pass. I've seen a ton of his shit. Midnight in Paris. It was. He was great. That's a. That was a enjoying a enjoyable movie. Hmm. God, this guy's worked a lot. Uh, I'm going to stop there. I'll, I I will tell you something amusing though. Yeah. I was introduced to Owen Wilson from Armageddon. <laughs> and my reaction to him in that movie was exactly the same as yours to him in Bottle Rocket. Oh. I could not stand that that laid back surfer mm. thing he was putting on in the midst of all that other crap. Right. Yeah, I just I was like, who is this guy? Why is he in movies? Why is he on the screen? I don't want to see that nose that big. Yeah. Uh, well, and it took Starsky and Hutch to win me over to him. Oh yeah. So, yeah, there are some things in which I have enjoyed him. So in all fairness, you know, there is that. Anyway, uh, so that's so I saw Bottle Rocket along in there and now I've lost track of what our what our conversation was prior to that. It was probably Isle of Dogs. Yeah, that brings us up to Isle of Dogs. 
uh, no, no, I understand. I'm saying we were talking about the things I'd seen. So if I was going to rate them like my top, what, top three, top five? Yeah, top three. Top three. Well, I am going to say that Fantastic Mr. Fox might be number one. Mm. And and then Moonrise Kingdom and, and Budapest are sort of wrestling it out for other slots. For the other two slots, they sort of come in two and two and three. But Isle of Dogs doesn't make the list, even though I did like it, if it's only limited to three. May I ask you another question? Yeah, please. Which of his films have you seen more than once? Ooh, well, not Bottle Rocket. I think I've seen Moonrise Kingdom more than once because it circled back on TV. I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox more than once because I think we own it. Uh, my wife is you a think is, you own my it? my wife is a DVD buyer, so I'm, I think at one point we did watch it at home again with somebody else who hadn't seen it or something. It's funny. I think the ones I've seen more than once are the um, are the three that are in my top three. Oh, by the way, I just I could not stand Darjeeling Limited. Just hmm, the meanderingness okay. of it and all of that. And it features, you know, Jason, <laughs> what is his last name? Schwartz or Schwartzman? What's your problem with Thalia's son, with, with, with Thalia's boy? Uh, I just feel like he's so, I feel like his, his acting work is kind of very self-conscious and studied and, hmm. and that he's not okay. letting go into it. He's just kind of. Ra- cloaking himself in it. That's fair. And I, I, I watched that show he had on, on, I don't know if it was HBO or Showtime or something. I watched Bored to Death? Yeah, I watched a couple episodes of that and it was certainly easier to watch than Darjeeling, I can't even say it. I didn't go, it didn't get me over the hump with him. Although hmm. I know there are okay. plenty of people who do. Where are you on Life Aquatic? It just sort of, I don't know, it just kind of flatlined a little bit for me. I, I couldn't quite, I didn't really kind of recognize anybody in it or really care that much about it. It just felt so quirky and, yeah. I keep thinking of this word. Let me look it up before I say it. For me, that movie is a, a rare instance of me liking all the elements of it much more than it hmm. as a whole. Oh, that's very interesting. Like I, I, I can think of, I can think of any one sequence in that movie and be like, "Fuck yes, that was great." Right, right. But if you asked me to sit through the thing again, <laughs> I'd probably be like, "Well, you know what? That's uh, what else you got." I think that could be said about maybe a lot of his work in general is that there are these tiny little bits and pieces of it often that are just really terrific. But when they're all added together, it doesn't necessarily pay off maybe that's why uh maybe that's why bottle rocket resonates so much for me is because i feel like it's a stripped down Mm. essence well certainly he hadn't he hadn't fully developed this sort of whatever it is this style of his yes um so he was still he was still sort of rudimentary enough that he wasn't kind of in some ways he could also be kind of hiding behind his these quirks and you know, ticks of his. So would you, 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 you put bottle rocket hands down as your number one. What are your numbers two and three? You know, I hate to say it, but Rushmore and Tenenbaums in that order. That's fine. And Tenenbaums is kind of reluctant. I've seen it probably three or four times. Mm. 
but it's yeah, no, 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 no. It's a solid number three. My, my, uh, well, Rushmore, as far as I'm concerned, is a solid number two. But my wife uh, recently, mm-hmm. <laughs> she recently uh, watched uh, Tannenbaum's again, and she was she's been raving about it every time she turns on the TV and sees a scene. Oh, here it is again! You know, so uh, a lot of excitement in this house about that. I think I need to go back and re- I can't do Rushmore, but I'll I'll go back and look at Bottle Rocket again, and I'll look at I'll look at Royal Tannenbaum's again in honor of your your feelings about them. I urge and implore you to to watch Bottle Rocket again. And, all, and yeah. every single listener out here who hasn't seen it. Uh, understood. And listen, I want to go on record as saying, in case it wasn't clear, I did not fall asleep because of anything having to do with the quality of Royal Tannenbaum's. It was my pure exhaustion. You know, you said that about Black Panther, too. I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> I'm a very tired man. I'm There's a just very so many times man. you can use that excuse, Epstein. Oh, what a deep pull, son. What a deep pull. Mr. Kate. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Very funny. All right, so... Signed Epstein's mother. All right, so go, <laughs> going back... Yeah, right. Going back to uh, the one, the case in point, Isle of Dogs for a minute. Uh, without doing any spoilers for you, uh, can I talk about the cast? I wanted to ask you about the cast. Well, one of the things I really do like about Wes Anderson is this sort of rotating company that he has where he goes back and pulls you know more than many other directors i can think of goes back and pulls people back in not just like director star pairings but right. many supporting characters and people just coming in to do a one-off and then they're out again and so on and so forth well you know who was the master of that uh who our old pal robert altman oh of course of course yes very good point. Only, you know what? I think Wes Anderson is a way better director than Robert Altman. <laughs> Talk about falling asleep. Yeah. Okay, so with regards to the cast. Yes. You have something like, it's knocking on 10. I think there are three or four Oscar winners and, you know, six or seven Oscar nominees. Right. In an animated movie. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a a cast for a stop motion or otherwise that had that many big hitters in it. And those are only the ones that I recognize from here because there are also Japanese voice actors as well, who I don't necessarily recognize their names. Okay. Because, you know, because I gathered that there was controversy because he didn't use Japanese actors or he had, you know, England, he had Western actors voicing Japanese characters. Wait, you actually, you actually heard that complaint? Well, now that you mention it, I did read it on my phone. So does that count? Is it real? Well, let me ask you this. That... Was your phone made in Japan? <laughs> Probably. Okay. I don't know what that means. It just seems funny to me. So in in some of the supporting roles, you've got Edward Norton. You've got Bob, Balab- Bob Balaban. Nice. Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum. Those four actors make up like a, a quartet of characters that have multiple mm-hmm. scenes together uh, and are involved in the whole story from almost from start to finish. Hmm. Greta Gerwig is in there doing a, a, a voice. Um, Francis McDormand does the voice of like, it's this really weird thing. 
because I, I, we should revisit this once and if you see this movie, just because whether we do it uh, as an episode or just you and I, yes, people, sometimes we just talk to each other. Nah. <laughs> Lifting the curtain. So it's this weird mix of English and Japanese in being spoken or being used to tell the story. Oftentimes, if there is stuff going on in English, like if there's a if there's like a sign on the on the screen or whatever, uh, it, it'll be translated in in Japanese somewhere on the screen as well, um, and it sort of goes back and forth both ways. So that to a certain extent, not speaking Japanese, I can't be sure. You might be able to just sit down and watch this as a Japanese person and follow through the whole thing anyway. Hmm. Um, and for places where there's like news announcements and things going on, yeah. they establish early on a character of a, of a interpreter nelson whatever and so often like she'll be somewhere in the frame with headset a headset on not as though she's talking to us or, or narrating the events as they unfold but as though she's interpretering for some third unseen party a la garrett morris in the old weekend update. yes yes kind of like that but not quite so distracting um <laughs> kind of like that but uh, yeah like that but also yeah you're so mean uh, more organic more organically in it. So sometimes you hear her voice, gotcha. sometimes you see her character and hear her voice or whatever. Keep uh, still going. There's a uh, there's a sort of a love interest with a with a girl dog named Nutmeg who's voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Harvey Keitel is in there as a heavy of some kind. Hmm. F. Murray Abraham plays a uh, a dog. Yoko Ono. I was I was <laughs> I was waiting to ask how how is my girl Yoko? You know what? She, uh, there's this kind of a subplot that's going on. There's the action that's the A story is the action that's taking place on the Isle of Dogs where our hero, a young boy, I think somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12 named Atari has gone to search for his missing dog and the adventures that he gets up to with the other dogs on the island. And then there's this other sort of thing going on on the mainland where scientists are trying to come up with a a cure for the illnesses that were used as the excuse for getting rid of the dogs in the first place. And so Yoko Ono plays an assistant scientist and she probably had one line and, and I didn't have any idea it was her because she wasn't shrieking like a stuck hedgehog when it happened. I was, I, you know, I was afraid <laughs> in the trailer when they go down the cast, I was afraid that the bulk of them would only have like one line or two lines. And I was almost certain that was going to be the case. With oh, Yoko. certainly it was. But I hoped. Oh, but I hope. <laughs> Francis McDormand gets a ton of time. Greta Gerwig gets a fair amount. Tilda Swinton has a couple of really solid scenes. Um, Ken Watanabe is a, like a head scientist or he, he's got a handful of good scenes. Then people are just doing dogs like Fisher Stevens does the voice of Scrap. Well, I don't remember who Scrap was. Or Liev Schreiber, that sort of thing. Courtney B. Vance does the narrating, and I think in 15 years he's going to sound exactly like Morgan Freeman, but he he had a you know this rich voice, and huh. it's, it's very easy to listen to him. Uh, Roman Coppola is in there somewhere. Oh, interesting. And there's a, uh, there's a joke credit that goes on, which is... Uh, don't tell. No, no, okay. no. Don't tell. No, me, don't okay, tell you're, you'll just have to read the credits then to know what the joke is, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, it's not okay. anything that you can get from 
from watching it. Um, and so I want to just be sure that I, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but the boy who plays Atari is Ko- Koyu Rankin. Koyu Rankin, and uh, he's it does a does a fine job. But a lot of these a lot of these actors I'm talking about really do certainly that quartet of characters: Norton, Balaban, Murray, and Goldblum. They definitely have a significant amount of time where they're having fun. And then leading the whole cast is uh, Brian Cranston with this beautiful, you should pardon the expression, growl of a voice. And he does a terrific job. I couldn't help but think while I was watching that maybe George Clooney was not available. Because I could Mm. absolutely hear all of those words coming out of Clooney's mouth. But honestly... I didn't miss him. I think Brian Cranston's. I know Brian Cranston is a better actor, and he really brought a lot to this. Um, and there are some like little ticks that maybe he, that maybe Anderson is pulling from Japanese culture, where lots of characters end up having tears in their eyes, which mm. I think might be a you know these big shots of these big round watering eyes sort of a thing. That's a staple of anime. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, all in all, I thought it was really interesting. There's some stuff that's really just flat out funny, and there are things about it that are that are sweet and gentle and lovely, um, in the way that some of those some of those things in Moonrise Kingdom, you know, just there was such a purity and innocence to some of the stuff the kids did there, and hmm. uh, just all in all, I really thought it was a very strong, a very strong uh, entry. All right, so this would be. On the positive leaning, yes, absolutely. It would it would fall into my number four fall into my number four slot, assuming that I don't end up loving Royal Tenenbaums more or uh, Bottle Rocket more. Well, okay. So um, I just knowing because of my wife's <laughs> level of interest, in spite of the fact that George Clooney is not involved, right? I will probably end up seeing this. So. Perhaps not for our listeners, but you and I can certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it feels like you're going to go, Doctor D, you son of a bitch, how could you have said those things? You know, if it looks like we're going to get into a knockdown dragout, we'll we'll throw a microphone on. We. I was going to say the MLT. We'll snap the mics (laughs) on right away. If it's just going to be you going, yeah, yeah, I I get what you're saying. We don't need to. uh... So, final word for our audience. Um, Say. Thumbs up. Go oh, absolutely! It. I would say uh, go see it. I would. I would say it's maybe not even really a kids' movie. Certainly not like young kids. Like I would say maybe yeah. a ten-year-old or an eleven-year-old. I who can tell anymore? They all have iPhones and and Instagram accounts. And I'm such an old man. Yeah. I have no idea. But I didn't feel like I was watch. I didn't feel like I was watching a a kids' movie that that had some adult stuff in it for me. I felt like I was watching a, a movie. Okay. So that's where I that stand on that. That is the most, uh, th- that is a very impactful comment, for me at least. Uh, good, good. Well, then I'll leave it at that. I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> over. All right. Once you get to something good, you should stop. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I hope you have, by this time, added Bottle Rocket to your queue. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, We'd like to thank you for listening, as he says, uh, for now and until next time. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctors are out. Boom-pah.